so I hope you guys are all doing okay today. So again, it was a busy day for a lot of us yesterday out at Praise in the Park. And I know that uh, I didn't spend as much time out there as everyone else, and I did not have the stuff on my plate that the worship team did, but it was really good. God was just there in a big way. So today we're going to talk about what is love. And uh, that seems to be a question that the world is asking as well. And, you know, when I hear what is love, I don't know, I'm dating myself here, but I'm remembering back in college we had youth conference, and one of the skits was what is love. And I don't know, nowadays, if you're younger, you would have seen a meme with Will Ferrell bobbing his head. But anyway, it's a, it was a song back in the day. And yeah, some of you remember what that is. And so when I hear that question, what is love, that goes into my head. Anyway, so let that be what it is. <laughs> but it seems that people have been asking the question about what is love as long as there have been people. And what's interesting, though, that in our modern era right now, it seems to be that it's a question sometimes without a real substantive answer. And it seems that love is defined by not having a definition. Love is nondescript. Love can't be put into words. Love is itself. Love is what it is. So but anyway, let's, there's an online dictionary. This won't be the one that we work with, but there's an online dictionary definition of love. And this is the noun definition. And it says, a strong feeling of affection and concern towards another person coming from kinship or close friendship. Love being a strong feeling of affection and concern for another person accompanied by romantic attraction. And in this definition, love is a feeling of devotion or adoration towards God. But we're going to take a look at this from a biblical perspective. And this is where if Phil wasn't busy teaching a Sunday school class, I would, I would tell him that he needs to come up here and sing with me. And we would do a cover version of DC Talks, Love is a Verb. Because love is a noun, love is a verb. And those of you who remember that. But Phil isn't here to get nervous, so I'll do that. And I won't call on Elliot either. He did a really good rendition of Awesome God last week. You have to go back and watch it on, on, on video last week's service. But we're not going to do that this morning either. But <laughs> Thanks, Elliot. <laughs> but our main scripture text is going to be out of 1 Corinthians 13. And that's a chapter that we usually read at weddings. And it's been interesting. This last week, um, I celebrated my 20th wedding anniversary. Thank you. Hold your applause because, because I actually had a chance to spend my combined anniversary with, uh, with Tim and Shauna and Jamie Ray. Tim and Shauna are having their 25th, and, and Jamie Ray was having her 15th, and we all got to do that on the same day. So let's give it up for them, too. So that's good. And the first Corinthians 13 passage was one of those passages that I had read at my my wedding. And but once I want us to realize today that it's not just a wedding passage. It's not just for husbands and wives, even though that is very important that we keep that kind of love in our relationships, but it works for all of us. It speaks to all of us no matter where we are in our Christian walk. And with that, let's uh, pray as we get started as we look into the word together. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, first of all, that in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. And Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit lives in me. And Lord God, I pray that you would speak through me today. Lord, we want to hear from you. We thank you for your word, for your scripture. And I pray that you just open our hearts and our minds. Lord, give us the strength in our minds and the open up the eyes and ears of our hearts in a, in a day where we might say that we're fatigued, Lord, but we push into you, Lord. We want your strength and your energy in this day, and we want to hear from you because we love you, and more importantly, Lord, you love us. So we just thank you for today, and we just lift up our hearts and our minds and this whole service and all gathered here, and we just want to see the name of Jesus made high and lifted up. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So, like I said before, 1 Corinthians 13 is this famous passage that we read at weddings because its lessons are very important about the marriage relationship, but it's also important for all of us. Now, the Corinthian church, they had a lot of different problems. They had to deal with uh, selfishness. They had issues around the Lord's Supper where they were just almost making a mockery of it because they were so being so harsh and, and greedy and getting involved in, in uh, drunkenness and all other kinds of things. They, there were people in that congregation that dealed with major issues of immorality. And when they had conflict, they were suing one another. They were taking each other to court and they were just putting all their dirty laundry before the secular government rather than being humble and making amends for these things in Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3 says, If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. This scripture in this whole passage points out how important it is that everything that we do, every interaction that we have is motivated by love. We can't do things without that love. It's void. We're not fulfilling what God has called us to do if we don't show love. Tongues and prophecies and faith all require love. Selflessness and self-sacrifice mean nothing without love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And we're going to take a look at this whole passage. Um, I know that this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, we don't look at it as heavily in a marriage ceremony because if you have a half-hour wedding ceremony, the preacher doesn't want to take up 25 minutes just talking about this passage. The bride would like to walk down the aisle, and we'd like to pray for them, and they'd like to sign the register, and we'd like to have special music and all those other things too as well. So... But I find that this text is rich. And I was thinking in the preparation of this text that, yeah, you know, this will be good. We can dive into it and uh, get some good teaching. But 
there's a lot here, and so we're not going to do all of this today. And then I was thinking that it isn't just even about this First Corinthians passage, that God himself is love, and to dig and plumb into the depths of him is something that we don't even have time, I think, to do in this lifetime, and that we will spend eternity in the love of God, understanding that, because love is eternal. So with that being said, the first thing that we're going to talk about is that love is patient. And there always seems to be challenges to our patience. We live in a fallen world, and so we have frustrations. We have situations that frustrate us. We have people who frustrate us, and we have goals that become frustrated. But how do we respond to those? Scripture and God's word tells us to be patient, that love is patient. Those of us who've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and those of us who have put our trust and faith in him, know that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And both patience and love are fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verses 22 to 26, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And to those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. As we look through the First Corinthians passage in this, and just uh, the Galatians passage too, you can see that there's a theme that God is showing us in both of those things. And there's lots of examples in life that we need to be patient, like what doesn't cause frustration that we need patience for? Um, we live in Saskatchewan, and so the big joke here is that there are two seasons. There's winter and construction season exactly and so i'm so i'm actually am thankful because because of the weather we get potholes and the city takes a lot of of pounding because of the change in the weather and so it's good that we get it fixed up and i'm thankful for those who fix that for us but sometimes it's hard if you're trying to get from north to south in the city and all the arteries are closed and you're doing the zigzag through the city you can become frustrated and also, how do you deal with little things like, you know, you're, you're going down on finally on a route, and then someone who isn't quite looking cuts in front of you without seeing, and then they slow down to 10 kilometers slower than the speed limit. It's like, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, just the speed limit. These things cause frustrations for us. But I do know that Scripture says to love your neighbor as yourself. And I know that we need to be patient with people. And you know what? I need people to be patient with me as well. We need to be patient with people in all of our spheres of life, whether we're dealing with our kids or whether we're dealing with our parents or whether we're dealing with our brothers and sisters or our coworkers. We need to have patience because, you know, I'm not perfect. And I'm guessing, well, I know that none of us here other than Jesus is perfect. So we all need grace and we all need to be patient with one another as well. So remembering that love is patient, and we can dissolve our own frustrations away by following God in that. And God himself is patient. God is patient with us. 
He has a, what is called a long patience for us. In some of the old translations of the fruits of the spirits, long suffering, but it's long patience for us. You know, because we as people, we do our own things. We get rebellious. We dishonor God. But yet, he's patient with us. Scripture says in, in Psalm 103, verses 8 to 10, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. God is patient. The God of love is patient. I'm I'm thankful for that because I, I need God's patience with me. And I'm so thankful that he doesn't deal with me as I deserve that he has his grace for me, and I, I just love that. So, And love is also kind. And this world is full of harshness and unkindness, and we need the, the love of kindness more than ever before. Um, we need to show God's loving kindness to others, and we need to be people who, through both our words and both through our actions, show kindness to others. And we, especially when people are unkind to us or speak unkind to us, we, we need to have a godly response. In Proverbs 15, verse 1, it says, A soft, gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We have to resist the, the fleshly temptation to, well, you said something to me, I'm going to say it back to you, and I'm going to give you twice as much. That isn't a gentle word turns away wrath. We come with kindness in the spirit of love and we diffuse situations and let Christ speak into those. We show loving kindness and we can encourage those who are hurting. You don't know whether the the cashier at your grocery store or the medical attendant in the hospital or the person you see on the street, what kind of hurt and pain that they're going through. And sometimes just being kind and thinking and saying hello or something like that, as the Spirit leads you to, just makes a world of difference in their circumstances. I know kindness has been showed to me in multiple ways. And I won't stand here because we'd be here for hours and hours. And that just is a testimony to God, how much kindness has been shown to me. I'm sure kindness has been shown to you too. But even think about randomly, like... um, the time when we had that uh, winter storm last winter and the tree branch fell from outside of the church and crashed through the back windshield of my car. And all y'all didn't know me that well yet, but look at what y'all did. You came out and you checked on me, made sure we were doing okay. Um, I think Levi and Caleb even came by and wanted to help clean out the car. Thank you for that. And just there was this beautiful kindness. And that's the, the spirit that we need to have, just reaching out to people that you don't necessarily even know that well and just loving on them and showing that loving kindness. And kindness is also, as we read before, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we live in a way that is kind, and when we do that, we please God. God gives us the power to be kind, not out of our humanness, not out of the power of our flesh, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives us the power to be kind, to be compassionate, to be benevolent, to have a sweetness about us when we interact with others. His loving kindness covers us as we act as his ambassadors to do his will in the world. Love is kind, and our God is kind. Our God is kind. Amen. So, and how does God show his kindness to us? Well, in Ephesians 2, 7, it says, 
so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God shows us his kindness by giving us his gift of salvation. Like, what more? We were just singing about God being holy forever and his graciousness to us. He gives us his very gift of salvation sacrificed through his son Jesus. Amazing. And in the next verse in Ephesians 2.8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, a gift from God. God shows us his kindness to us by showing us his gift of salvation. And love does not envy. The Greek word for, for envy has this fiery, hot-headed jealousy and rage component in it, which you don't necessarily see in English. We have this connotation in our culture of envy just being the green-eyed monster, but it is a monster because it has that rage and all those things that, are, that come along with it. And it is opposite. Envy is opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. Envy is opposite of what God has commanded for us. In the Old Testament, we have the Tenth Commandment, and in Exodus twenty seventeen, it says, you shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. We can't be a self-centered and selfish people just wanting to accumulate possessions just for the sake of just getting stuff and not using it, but, oh, we just having it for the sake of having it without any reason. And we have to be careful that we don't try to manipulate other people or have an inappropriate desire for others or other things. That is not for us. That is not what God wants for us. Love does not envy. We don't covet. We don't envy because God has called us to that. And love doesn't boast. And uh, showing that you're boastful is not any better. When boasting involves you trying to puff yourself up and like, I'm so good and I want to make myself seem that I'm better than you. And it even involves sometimes making other people feel bad about they don't have something or they couldn't do something as well. And you're doing it with that spirit of I'm better than you are and oh, that's too bad and just a horrible condescending. That is not love. Boastfulness is not love. And we have to make sure that we can share our joys together, but we rejoice with each other. I'm glad that someone gets to go on a trip or you have something. In my heart as a brother in Christ, I want good things for you, and you should want good things for me. But we don't use those as weapons over each other to try and make each other feel bad. Love does not boast. Love isn't arrogant, and love isn't proud. There's a theme of love about standing strong and firm against our sin nature, against boastfulness, against arrogance, and against pride. These sins are the, are the ones that, that crush us, and love stands against those things. Love stands against boastfulness. Love stands against arrogance. Love stands against pride. And being proud was the sin of Satan. When Lucifer was in heaven, he was charged with directing praise towards God. And Lucifer decided that I want people to worship me. And in, in that, Lucifer wanted to become God himself. And because of that sin, that pride, that proudness of heart, he was cast down. And in scripture, it says this about our enemy. In Ezekiel twenty-eight fifteen, it says, 
You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. And then in Ezekiel 28, 17, it says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. What's interesting that, that happened to, to, to now Satan is that his wisdom was corrupted. He was a being that was designed to worship God in a unique way. And with that sin of pride, with him puffing himself up and wanting people to worship and steal that worship from God, something went wrong in his design. That sin corrupted wisdom. We have to make sure that we do not fall into sin, that we do not try to grab onto things that we uh, aren't supposed to so our wisdom does not become corrupted, that we do not have proud hearts, that we do not follow along in the sin of the enemy. Now, what's interesting, though, in, in looking at this, I think we use the word proud in English as kind of a lazy word. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, rather than say something like a long phrase like, um, I'm well pleased because of your accomplishments, we say something like, I'm proud of you. And something, rather than say something like, it brings me joy to see the quality of character that God has refined in you, we say, I'm proud of how you handled that. Or someone might say, as a community, we value the investment of our citizens in its upkeep. But instead, in English, we say, we're proud of how we keep our streets clean. So I wish we had a better nuance in English for that word a bit. So as I study that, because it almost has the, the lazy meaning of it. If I say the word microchip, you automatically know what I mean in our culture. You know, I'm talking about a sophisticated piece of computer machinery that's in our phones and other things, and that has a very distinct meaning. But one thing that happens with the word proud in our culture, that it actually pushes into its original meaning as well. And the flip side of being proud means that it pushes into the, the debauchery and the self-centeredness of our culture as well. That being proud pushes into the debauchery and self-centeredness of our culture. And I'll let those of you have ears hear that, right? So love is not arrogant. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love does not dishonor others. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 to 5, it says again that love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love is not rude, and it does not dishonor others. The Greek word for rudeness in English means to act unbecomingly. And the secular view of love is that love is whatever it is, or love is whatever you say it is. But we know the truth of God says love cannot be rude. And we live in a culture where we see a lot of rude things being equated with love. And that is not what scripture tells us. This last week I saw a rude um, incident. I actually was uh, in a drive-thru waiting to get my order. 
And while I was sitting at the drive-thru window, and all of a sudden there's this loud honking over to my, my right in the parking lot, and it's loud, loud, loud. And uh, the person who was serving me came to, back to the window thinking that I was honking. It was so loud that I was upset and I wanted something. It wasn't me, but it was the car on the other side. And then there was someone in that car, and they were pointing at someone uh, going into the restaurant ahead of me or something like that. And, and uh, the person turned around and went back and just trying to figure out what was going on with that. But anyway, it was kind of a, a publicly weird, heated exchange, and there were uh, inappropriate gestures made, and then the other person went back in. But it was a loud, rude spectacle in front of people. It was not something that was the opposite of loving. And I don't know what the relationship between the two people was, whether it was a, um, a family relationship or whatever, but what happened there was not loving. Love is not rude. And I'll pass over the, the next pay, scripture again, but I'll say again that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. And love does not insist on its own way. It's not self-seeking. I know our default as people is that we look after ourselves and make sure that we're doing okay, but God calls us to do this. In Matthew 22, verses 39, sorry, verses 37 to 39, it says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is not self-seeking. We need to love God the Father. We need to love Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we need to love the Holy Spirit. That is our calling. We are called to love our God, who we love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love isn't self-seeking. And you know what? Love is God-seeking. God isn't self-seeking. Love is God-seeking. Love isn't, is, is not irritable. It's not easily angered. We need to be a people that uh, don't have a short fuse with each other. To be loving means that we tolerate each other's shortcomings and realize that we're not perfect either, and we don't sin in our anger. It's not like we'll never be angry, but we have to be righteous in our anger, and we don't want to sin in our anger. In James 1, uh, verse 19, it says, in hearing and doing the word, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. God loves you so much, and he is so patient with you, and he is slow to anger. And in, in Scripture, it says in 2 Peter verses three, verse, chapter 3, verse 9, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Love is not easily angered. It's not resentful. It doesn't keep any record of wrongs. That is amazing that, that God is slow to anger his love for us. And what do we do about wrongs? When we're wronged, we get hurt, but we have to give that to the Lord. We are not designed to carry resentments and wrongs with us because that corrupts our soul. When we carry around hurts and, and things that people have done to us, 
it, it becomes this thing and it starts rotting us. What we need to do is, Lord, yes, I was hurt and this hurts really badly. And Lord, I give that to you. Lord, work in my heart to help me forgive that other person. And it's hard, like, but forgiveness is for ourselves too, because we're being obedient. Because of the cross, because Christ died to take all of that, we are responsible to give that to him. In Matthew 18, it talks about uh, that forgiveness exactly. And it says in verse 21 and 22, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And we go, that's a huge number. And in some temp, uh, translations, that's 70 times 7. Does that mean like, okay, um, Jane cut me off in traffic. Jane cut me off in traffic. Jane cut me off in traffic until we get to 70 times 7? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that we always have a heart of forgiveness for everything. The idea that it's such a big number that we always forgive. We don't have the option of not forgiving, especially our brothers and sisters. Love keeps no records of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. God wants us to be a holy people so we can be functioning the power of his Holy Spirit to be like Christ in everything that we do. We can't rejoice in evil. We can't cheer evil on. We need to be lovers of the truth. And remember, who is the truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We rejoice in Jesus. We seek his, his truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with Jesus. Amen? Amen. When, when people who um, call themselves our enemies or you've, we often, in our culture, we see famous people who mock God and they just have this horrible heart attitude. When bad things happen to them, when their lives fall apart, it's, a part, it's not our opportunity to point and laugh at people. It's our opportunity to pray and be sorrowful for them because they've made choices that have messed up their lives. Like, like you know, evil, evil people, there are consequences for actions. And we go, yeah, I guess that happens, but it isn't our opportunity to go, ha, 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 look at you. We need to pray because Jesus came to save all of us. But for the grace of God, any of us are that person who's fallen down that road. So we need to extend that love and grow the kingdom of God through that love. And I know this is hard. This is, as much as we love love and we love God and God loves us, this, some of this nitty-gritty is hard teaching. But guess what? Jesus lives in us, so he's going to give us the strength to walk through this. It's not about us in the flesh doing it. It's about Jesus and his Holy Spirit helping us in those things. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. And I was joking about the whole thing before Phil came up and we doing, uh, doing love as a verb. As we move into this next part of scripture, we're going into the verb part. And it isn't going to be as intensive because, like I said, this message is so big, it's actually going to be, I think, another message in a Bible study eventually. But we're going to come together and look at some of these things. And we're looking at all the, the verbs parts of this too, that love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things, love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. So we're going to rush, look at these verb parts right now. And it says, love always protects. And in the original language, it means God covers us. And so we have the covering of his righteousness. God protects us. He calls us to show that same loving protection to others. Love always trusts. 
And this has nothing to do with gullibility or naivete or not being discerning. This love means that love always trusts that we're looking out and believing the best in those we love and giving the benefit of the doubt to those we love and trust. Like I said, that's not a gullible or a naive love, but it's an intentional love. Love always hopes. Three Sundays ago, I spoke on hope. And the one thing I want us all to remember is that we still have hope. And Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our savior. And Jesus himself is called hope. And we place our hope in Jesus. Amen. Love always perseveres. And this is talking about endurance and fidelity and all those in holy relationships. God always loves and his love never changes This isn't like God changing his mind, but he changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change his mind on a whim. He loves us. He loves us. Now, as I move forward, I'm going to call the worship team back up. And we remember that love never fails. Our God is holy. Our God is great. Our God is holy forever, our God is eternal, and our God is love. Other things will cease, but the love of God will go on forever just because of who he is. In Romans 8.28 it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, who are called according to his purpose. And in Jeremiah 31 3 it says the Lord appeared to him from far away I have loved you with an everlasting love therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you and we know that the love of God never fails we've been singing about that we've been living that out the love of God never fails it is a part of his eternal character the eternality of God is his love as well That never changes. Love will never fail us. So, brothers and sisters, let's just continue to lovingly submit ourselves into the fullness of this and to love God in his person, in in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving him in the fullness of that. Let's walk in those things. And when we run into those things that are hard, like trying to exercise forgiveness, and when we need healing, let's bring ourselves before the throne of God and just ask him for his encouragement. Um, I'm going to, we'll pray together, and then the worship team will lead us in their, their final song here. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters gathered here. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your love poured out. And Lord, I just have it on my heart right now. If, if you're watching online at home or if you're here and you've never come to a place to understand God's love, this is how God's love is shown to us, that while we were still rebellious against God, While we were still separated from God, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That know this, that God's own son, Jesus Christ, having lived a sinless life, died for us. So what we do is that we bring our confession to him and say, yeah, Lord, I've I've screwed up. I, I haven't followed you. I don't even know who you are, and I want to follow you. Lord, please forgive me from my sins, Lord. Please draw me to yourself. Please teach me what it means to be loved by you and to love others. So Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray that 
if that's a prayer that you've prayed in your heart, you'll just let us know that and contact us or even come forward. And for those of us here too, we'll have the altar ministry team come up as well. If you want prayer to talk about coming to know God personally or just need prayer for something that's in your life, you can come and have prayer. So Lord, just thank you for these things and bless us in this time in Jesus' name. Amen.